Hey listeners, it's Chelsea here coming from my basement studio and I just wanted to let you know that the episode that you're listening to tonight and the episodes you'll be listening to in the next few weeks are backlog episodes. So Nicole and I recorded these episodes in the summer and early fall before the COVID-19 outbreak and pandemic that is going on. So we hope that while this pandemic and world crisis is happening, that you are all staying safe, staying healthy, uh, staying home, supporting local businesses where you can, maybe find some solace and some books that you love and care about. Um, and we will be doing the same. And we will be back with new episodes um, when everything kind of calms down. And until then, I hope you enjoy our backlog. Happy reading. Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and any book with even a smidgen of time travel. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any book with fantasy book with a strong female lead. How you doing, Chelsea? Welcome to book 45 from the list. Woo, I'm doing well. It's um, exciting this week because this is the first book that I've already read once and you hadn't read. So it's our kind of our first one where we're coming at it, one from a first time read and one from a right. reread. Different levels of experience. So I'm actually really excited. Nice. And in normal life, things are going good. Working at a summer camp, chilling. Nice. It's great. Nice. How's things going for you? Not the best. <laughs> my condo was recently flooded by my upstairs neighbors. And so I'm currently spending a prohibitive amount of money to be homeless, basically, because still have to pay the mortgage. You know, paying a mortgage and not being able to live there. Yeah, everyone's un- dream. It's unfortunate. So um, as a result, I thinking of what I've been reading outside of the book for the podcast this week is that I have yesterday I started a desperate Harry Potter reread, as I usually do in times of trouble. <laughs> and I realized I haven't done a reread in two years since I got fired. <laughs> That was the last time, last time you needed I was it. Upset, <laughs> upset, upset enough to need a Harry Potter reread. And then I, I literally stopped by my place to pick up some things and like get the mail. And I went inside and I just like immediately pulled the first book off the shelf and read like almost half of it in one sitting because I was just like, thank God I need this. I need it so bad. Harry <sighs> Potter is always there for you. Yeah. So and it did. It did. Like I woke up in a better mood today until I got more bad news about it. But I was I was just like, it did it does help. It has helped. So sidetrack before I talk about the book I've been reading. This is funny. I had a difficult camper this week at the camp I work at where I was just having a hard time um like connecting with her and she was a little bit sassy. Um and today I discovered her love for Harry Potter. Oh now you bonded. The little kid can school me in Harry Potter things. She was like Whoa. we were doing like things back and forth and she was like, Do you know what McGonagall's wand is? Cause I do. Whoa. That's <laughs> like from like, Pottermore. That's Whoa. like not even in the books. And then and then she was like, and I know her birthday. <laughs> totally from Pottermore. Very impressive. But it was just so funny. And then, so then, every time I needed her to do something, I'd be like, okay, first tell me a Harry Potter fact. Now go do that thing I need you to do. <laughs> yes, bonding. So, you know, real life applications of Harry Potter. That's awesome. Um, what have you been I've reading? I've been reading uh, the, I read Legend by Marie Lu, which is a uh, dystopian novel. It's YA. It's nice and easy. Um I read it in, like, going with this Holocaust book we're reading, and then I've also been reading um, the book called Columbine, 
which was uh, the book. Jeez, Chelsea. You're just like, I want to be sad. <laughs> no, legend isn't sad. Okay. I mean, ish. Uh, the book called Columbine, which was David Cullen's um, like journalistic thing where he collected all the information from Columbine and wrote a novel about it, which is really interesting, but I can only read it like 20 pages at a time before I become very sad. Uh, and so I figured, you know, YA dystopian, a nice levity, my version of levity, uh, with our Holocaust and school yes. shooting books. So, you know, life just, is all about balance. Just you know? living my best life, confusing my husband daily on why I choose to read the things I choose to read. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So on top of that, I already mentioned our book for this week, but our book for this week was Sweet Frances by uh, Irene Nemrivoski. 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 Um, I'm sure we just butchered this. She was um, a Russian woman who lived in France during World War II. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about like kind of her history and how she wrote this novel when we get into the part of it, yeah. but it was published in first published in French in 2004. So way after her death, way and then posthumously translated into English in 2006. Yeah. And it was really, I think it was really well known when it was first published because I read it right when it was per- first oh, published yeah. because it was one of those ones that was on all the shelves. Like you should read this. Um, and yeah, and it's right up our alley. World War II fiction. You know, yeah. things we like. We definitely went into it being like, well, obviously this one will be good. Um, what's your one word description of this book? Um, my one word description of this book was snapshot. Nice. Okay. Mine is classism. Not necessarily because that is the like overarching theme of this book, but, but I think it's what makes this book stand out against other World War II fiction. Yeah. Um, that is kind of unusual about it. One of the things. Yeah, so we will give you a little bit of a quick plot now. Over the course of two novellas, the author depicts life in occupied France during World War II. Perfect. And before we go into our spoiler zone, I do think that there's something important about this book that you should know that's kind of spoilery, but it'll help you decide whether you want to read it. Um, This book is not finished. Um, It was intended as five novellas and so you don't have closure for the characters so if that's something that bugs you or that would make you not want to read a book you probably do want to err kind of on the side of making that choice knowing going in that it's not um gonna have some closure it is a good novel and we'll get into that with spoilers but I just thought I'd put that in like the beginning part so that if people don't zone out they know what they're looking for all right, so from this point forward, we'll get into spoilers. If you want to check back in with us um, after we're done talking about the spoilers, look in the show notes for the time. Yeah, we're doing a really cool new segment that we might turn into a repeating one. So you yeah. should hang out for that. All right, so I think the key facts to state about this book on top are that the author was a published author in France before the war started, and she was Jewish, and she's a Russian immigrant. And then when World War, when France got invaded by Germany, she fled to the countryside along with many other French people mm-hmm. and then was living there. And she was writing about the war as it was happening. Um, and then eventually she was um, captured. captured. And yeah, like a... someone spoke about her. And then and then she went and was killed in a concentration camp in 1942. So yes. pretty early in the war. And her, so, her and, husband was also killed in Auschwitz and her daughter's 
survived. Um, and the reason this book was published so far posthumously is because it was in a suitcase that the daughters carried with them throughout the war and they were never felt like they were emotionally ready to read it. And then after one of the sisters passed away in the nineties, the other sister opened it and read it and realized it was this important novel and got it published. Yeah. So it's crazy. Cause I feel like we have both read a ton of world war two fiction that has been written in the last 15 years and and because of the podcast even some memoirs and things that were closer to the war um but this is like it's vivid at a level an unbelievable level and it is haunting at an unbelievable level because uh because because she when she was writing it she didn't know who was going to win the war and you can feel it in the book and it uh, that's why i chose snapshot because it really feels like more than any other um World War II novel that I've read that she literally captured that moment in time because she wasn't even writing it three years out like Primo Levi. Like she was writing it right then as it was happening to her recording these things. And so it really feels like it's a very authentic look and processing of what's happening and a really um, almost brutal um redressing of her own countrymen at that point. She was a French citizen at that point. Um, or like a redressing of her own countrymen and how they were handling the war. Yeah, it's she's very critical. critical of the French in a way I don't think we see a lot because the Allies won, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't criticize the French except for make, maybe making some bad jokes about how they just capitulated too easily or whatever, Americans making jokes about that. But like, we're not critical in the way that she's critical in this book about collaboration. Yeah. There's a lot of people who became collaborators and why they did it. Um, and how there was a name mentioned many times, and I didn't know who it was, and I Googled it, and it's like the guy who was in charge of Vichy, France, mm-hmm. and uh, and he had been like a World War One hero for France, and then he becomes this huge collaborator and just does all, you know, ships off the Jews, does all these heinous things to the French people, and but but in the book, people are supporting him. Um, yeah. and, and it's like, I think if you had written this book from a more historical perspective, you would have written about like the one person who secretly knew he was bad, but that's like, that's, there probably were people like that, but it's a myth that it was common. Everyone right? and that it was well yeah. known because he was seen, he had been this war hero before. Yeah. So people so- just like rallied. And then he was after the war when he was like in his eighties, he was tried and sentenced to death and then they lowered it to life in prison because he was like in his mid eighties and then he died in prison because of his collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, um, Oh, and you shouldn't, we should note that at the end of the book included in the binding is her notes for the books that she intended to novella. She intended to follow and for, as she was writing these. And so you see in the notes where she's like, Oh, Germany invaded Russia. And then mm -hmm. how she like, how am I going to incorporate that into this novel? And, and so it's, she's writing it as things were happening and, and really confident that Germany was going to invade England because that seemed so true at the time, you know? And, And, um, it's kind of like a chilling, uh, note that the third section that she never got to write was labeled captivity. Right, and it was going to be about being one of the characters being in a concentration camp, and then she didn't get to write it because she got sent to a concentration camp. And so yeah. it's just, it's very interesting. Um, I think that just historically, like, outside of the book, like, the context of how this book was created and came to be is really something worth nerding out of, yeah. uh, out over, even before you get to reading the book yeah. itself. It's like a lot of historical fiction about World War II. Like, what's the one where the girl like locked her little brother in the cupboard and then she never gets back Ooh, uh sarah's key right and so it's like they're like creating that kind of mystery and this mm-hmm. is a real mystery that happened 
Yeah, so basically what we're saying is that there was a, we nerded out a lot about the historical context of this book, oh, right? Oh, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So that's coming through. Um, <laughs> and on to the actual plot of the book. Yes. Um, so essentially, it is a big cast in this book. I would say it focuses on six or seven kind of different separate cast of characters throughout the novellas, um, and it's really broken down into individual sections about them. And then it's really cool because... The two novellas, the first one, Storm and June, really focuses on like four sets. And then you go to the second section, which is called Dolce, and it has like four more kind of two but they, main but ones. But they interconnect. But they yeah. interconnect and they kind of are introducing the characters. So you know she was building this big like meta world. <laughs> Right. Um, where all the characters she, are going to come to resolution. She intended it to be five novellas that played like a symphony, like yeah. the five movements of a symphony. And so the first novella is mo- is about all these different people and families when the Germans are coming to Paris and people are fleeing. And then the second one, second novella is about the Germans have been in France for a while and they're occupied. There's a particular regiment that's occupying this village. Yeah. And so and. Um, I think the first novella especially, and the second, both of them do, kind of play into your choice of word for our one word. Yeah, and so speaking of her being like critical of the French is that um, a lot of the aristocrats are the people who become the collaborators because they get positions of power underneath the conqueror. Like, they're well, the the French mayor of the town or whatever, and but still basically in the Germans' pocket. Mm -hmm. And they're... And and the like that the farmers or the poor people like resent, you know that like we have we're the ones suffering. They're taking our horses and our crops and stuff. But they're in and they and then we have to board the soldiers in our house. Mm-hmm. And but those but the rich people on the hill they, they are like cozy up with the Germans and they don't have to have a soldier in their house and they don't have to give up anything. And so I think that that. Um, it's rare to read a wartime book that doesn't portray people as unified nas- nationally. You know? And it doesn't mm. portray people as either being good or bad. Yeah. They're all kind of both. Yeah. And she's writing in one of the main plots is that a girl, young woman who's like husband that she's never really loved as a prisoner uh, of war. And they have a German officer living in the house and they like fall for each other, mm-hmm. even though they're both married. And, um, and it's like when the author was writing that, she didn't know that after the war, people who did that were going to get like their heads shaved and like shamed and walk naked down the streets and stuff like that. What happened? She didn't know that. But you could like you could. So she, but she's anticipating it, that it's like it's terrible. And but it's very it's human. Right. Yeah, like there's all these young women that are like in the burst of youth and there's no other men around and all and these young men who are being conscripted to serve but don't really have an understanding what they're serving for just that they're serving for their country right and so maybe they didn't even know about the really terrible things because it's happening. really early in the war and the men that they're boarding are definitely just like foot soldiers like mm-hmm. um and so it's interesting uh yeah she really does talk like make it feel like everything that happens is human but that doesn't mean it's okay. Like, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it reminded me of um, the Czechos- Czech one we read, um, Waiting for the Dark, yes. Waiting for the Light, where we were like, are you evil if you just go along with the regime? Mm-hmm. It's mixed, right? And um, yeah, and so the, I like that part of it, and I thought it was unique. And I, I really liked uh, the beginning part in the storm in June or whatever, June, not July, I think June. Um, and it's the first novella, and everybody's fleeing Paris, and it follows... Um, two kind of upper class 
rich families or sets of people and then um kind of a middle middle class Mm -hmm. family and what happens to them as they're like the differences and how their journey and their attempt to escape goes and how both of the upper class families are able to make it out one of them ends up returning but like are able to make it out but that middle class family has to return to paris like and just live they don't they don't have anywhere to go and mm-hmm. they don't have any money versus like the wealthier families that are like in their fancy cars with all of their prized linens and stuff and they brought their cat like it's just yeah. like a very different um and it response was to a life or death situation <laughs> like and how they were worried about like how what did the servants need to bring did they collect these things the right way whereas yeah. this other family um gathers their stuff and then it turns out the car they were supposed to go in for their bank company they work for can't fit them so they have to go sit at the rail station and yeah and like wait for days and take a train and then they don't really have anything to do there so they just go back like yeah it's um and they end up walking a lot like it's a very interesting at how um the entitlement plays out a little bit um yeah. and i find it interesting that she was able to write about all three kind of different sets so effectively because there's also one of the rich couples in the story. Um, he's an author Ugh, and it's his he was so gross. He was awful. Yeah. Um, and they spend their days and they're stuck next to this car with obviously a family that's supposed to be low, lower class mm-hmm. um, and like has a baby and has like eight people shoved in the car and yada, yada, yada. And in the end he goes to this restaurant and he cons a friend into giving him some food and one of the men from that other car steals it from him. And there's that that lower class, quote unquote, family is like sitting, having their picnic. Like, should we feel bad about this? No. no. And like, yeah. and you don't even feel bad for him. You're like, no, dude. Yeah. Like, don't be such a dick. And so it's just it's really interesting that she wrote everyone so effectively and so gray. Yeah, and and there's like another part where the the wife of like the aristocrat who becomes the mayor of the village and a collaborator, she's like more worried about socialism mm-hmm. than she is about the Nazis, and that's wild. <laughs> um, because it just can't stand that the, now that the farmers have money, they don't respect her in the same way. Oh and, yeah, like, and you know, crazy. by the way, communism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sprinkle some communism over there because it's still the 20th century. So. My question about this book is that I, like, really enjoyed it. It's obviously, like, right in my, like, wheelhouse. I thought it was – this history behind it was fascinating, and I think the book was well-written. And I liked it. Like, I totally liked it. (laughs) But I don't – is it a book that everyone should read before they die? I don't know. I – I don't know if standing alone as just the book, it would be a book everyone should read before they die. But I wonder if it's kind of like um, if this is a man where in the context of the history of the person and the glimpse you get into her that is attached to the book. It's like literally yeah. in the book they put in the, the notes and then her letters to people and um, like a historical thing um, in a postscript, not a preface, but uh, I feel like in the context of that, it gives it so much power. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if I can let go of that. Cause I remember when I was rereading it now, when I read it the first time, and I was rereading it. I didn't remember any of the like plot points, but what I remembered 
was how crazy I think it is someone was able to so effectively and critically and well-balancedly write about the world they were currently living in. In a way that's still coherent almost 100 years later. In a way that's still coherent almost 100 years later. And I think that there's power in reading things like that. Um, Like this book feels to me like a direct opposition to those like fever wish fulfillment mandrake books we read. <laughs> like yeah. it feels to me like the like that's a good the point. direct counterpoint yeah and i want people to read the counterpoint uh not those yeah and so that's a strong argument yeah. i feel like yeah like i don't know if it's i don't know if it belongs on the list because it's message is so powerful or it's like thing it's the writing itself is doing something unique, but I think because taken in context, it is so unique. Um, and it's a really a way of capturing the human experience that I don't think is done in novel form Mm. very well in this way ever, or never have I read a book that was written in the time period critically, like not knowing how our story was going to be able to end because it was going to have to end with however the war ends kind of stuff. Like, um, it is true that this book makes me more than it makes me think of like any other historical fiction I've read about this period. It makes me think more of kind of like the jungle did about other social issue nonfiction books that are current. Mm-hmm. Like like this book has more in common with like a really well done article about the kids that were America is taking away from their parents and putting in concentration camps than it does with a historical fiction book about World oh, War II. Oh no, they have everything they need there. <laughs> They're totally fine. Yeah, it's Sarcasm. totally not the same thing. <laughs> but I feel like it. it's like if you yeah. read like a really great article about that, that was like really vivid and like um, made you see like the horribleness and the moral grayness and every, like that, that would remind me more of this book than like a fiction book about World War II. That II. is, it almost feels like it's a blurred line, even though it is fiction. Like she's not using her own name. Um, you know, she's pulling and you can read when you read her notes, she is pulling in things that she actually saw happen. It does almost read like it's this weird, like mishmash of fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I love that it isn't just a straight memoir. I think it's more mm-hmm. powerful as a novel. Yeah, I don't know. So I and it's immensely readable. It is immensely. It's, it's readable. well written and it's well translated. And I just, I do. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm making it clear that I think it should be at least for this point in time. Um, who knows if it'll stay? But I just, I feel like it's doing something within the whole context of itself that none of the other books we've read did. Mm, yeah that's yeah that's you know what I mean like the author and the book in their whole context taken together did this really beautiful snapshot in a way that even if this is a man didn't really do yeah that's true so if we um before we decide if it's on the list who would we recommend this book to obviously anyone who likes World War II books interested in history um novellas <laughs> i think just historical fiction in general yeah um and like if you're someone who normally reads like non-fiction this would be a cool fiction book to read that you would like yeah that you might like um like someone who's normally a non-fiction reader and has a hard time finding historical fiction they like because it's so yeah. unfactual like this one is pretty factual at least how she understood it at the time at the time yeah with the information that she had and yeah. so i think that it's a good transition novel 
yeah for that also yeah i would like i feel like this is like the second or third french novel that we've read for the podcast and i gotta say they're like all pretty good like i I know elephants it translates it translates yeah the the mandarins that was Mm -hmm. french like like it just like translates pretty good and it's and it's it's like culturally i feel like close enough that you can really we're uh recommending french to english translators you're doing a good job yep yep good job golf clap good job (laughs) (laughs) all right do we think this is a book that people should read before they die Yes. yes i am gonna say maybe we might take it off the list but i do think it belongs on there yeah i agree i think it, you convinced me because I, I at first when i arrived here today i was kind of like it's really good and i really like it and i would recommend it to people in fact i already was like i'll get like told my aunt about it and said i would give her the book when uh-huh. i finished it um but i was like is it a book everyone should read but i feel like your argument was strong and i'm convinced you know, just persuasive. My dad did used to say that I should be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, but it might be, this might be based more on taste than anything else. So I'll be curious to see if it, if it holds its own on the list as we go on. I, that's why I think that when I thought about it, I had to think about her context, too, to help me want to put it on the list. I'm going to argue for this one for forever. So, like, <laughs> standing on this line. Fair so, enough. Uh, Fair enough. Our second segment today is we were thinking of making a mini segments where we do these once every we're not good at real distance of time. So once whenever we feel like it, um, where we choose a genre and we look up like a top 10 list or a top 20 list of titles and then we try off of the title to guess what the book would be about yeah on based on title alone so i will read the titles and i, I won't look at the descriptions until and today guess. it's um historical fiction to go with kind of the fact that this was a historical fiction novel yeah so the first book is called as meat loves salt by maria mccann as meat m-e-a-t loves salt what do we think of that that's it's a great title i hope that it's historical fiction i hope that it's about I hope it's a modernized version of the jungle <laughs> about the meat industry. I'm picturing that it's like somewhere like Italian Riviera. Does the Italian have a Riviera? It's a French Riviera. Italian like ocean <laughs> beaches. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, I don't know if they call it the Riviera or not. No, because it's the French it's Riviera. It's the French Riviera. Okay. So you think, okay. So. And set in the. 1850s it's set in the 17th century during the english revolution um it's a darkly erotic tale of passion and obsession (laughs) when meat meets salt (laughs) it's a moving portrait of a man on the brink of madness is his meat meeting some salt it just says i'm just imagining really phallic things like jacob cullen and his fellow soldiers dream of rebuilding their lives when the fighting is over but the shattering events of the war will overtake them how I feel like it's a description erotic. that it's a description that does not live up to how weird the title is. No, That's but I definitely once you said erotic went meet his penis. <laughs> it's his penis. Yeah. The next one is called The Book of Night Women by Marlon James. Ooh, I think it's about midwives and Ooh. set in Europe in the 1500s, 1600s. I think it's about prostitutes. Ooh, uh, night women, gotcha. <laughs> uh, and it's set in Europe in the 1800s. Okay. It is set in the late 1700s in Jamaica. Not where I was expecting. <laughs> it's the story of Lilith, a born into slavery on a Jamaican sugar plantation at the end of the 18th century. 
They recognize that she as she has a dark power when she is born, and she helps lead a slave revolt. Slave revolt. So it's like, is it magical realism historical fiction? She has a dark power. It looks like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Intriguing. Okay. Uh, it's not a very exciting title. Ooh, the Buddha in the Attic by Julie Atsuka. Um, 1950s UK. I'm going to say like 1920s America, like Chinese Exclusion Act. You, to, you know, that kind of thing. Like can't. Right. Yeah. I was like, especially because the author has, a, um, has, I think, a Japanese last name. Well, that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Early 1900s US. Oh, good. Nice job. Uh, oh, it's. It's by the author of a book that I was supposed to read for a book club but never read <laughs> when the empire was divine. Uh, it's a story of young women brought from Japan to San Francisco as picture, picture brides. That was a, You were good on that yeah. one. Nice. Let's okay. See, let's see. I'll cut F- out. Fingersmith. Oh, I, I've heard of this one. It's a... Uh, Ooh, shit. I can't remember. It's a bit. <laughs> so much pressure. Nah, it's on my TBR, but I took it off because I didn't think I actually wanted to read it, but I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> well, take a guess. Uh, 1885. Getting your years. First, you're like whole centuries, and then you're like decades, and now you're like specifically June of 1885, uh-huh. June 8th <laughs> at midnight. In the <laughs> east coast of the United States. Okay, I'm going to say. Um, Actually, I think it's in London. I think it's 17 or 1800s in the like um, wool towns of New England where women are like working independently to make wool for the first time Uh, in factories. 1800s England, an orphaned, raised by farmers, and taught to be a fingersmith, a pickpocket. Yeah. Fingersmith is a way better word than pickpocket. We totally should have kept that. Yeah. Uh, Oh, this is a great one too. So this is the last one. Okay. Fruit of the Drunken Tree. Ooh. Um, fruit of the Drunken Tree. I don't know why, but that made me think of a mango. Yeah, I think I thought something like a tropical so island. So I'm going to say. I'm going to say it's about colonialism in the like, what, like the um, South Pacific. Hmm. I want to say it's on an island. I'm not going to name what island. And it's set in the early 1900s. 1980s. Wow, that's not historical. Columbia. We're not that old. <laughs> Let's see. It's about two sisters living in a gated community in Bogota, but the threat of kidnappings, car bombs, and assassinations hovers outside their walls where the drug lord Pablo Escobar continues to elude authorities and capture the attention of the nation. You know why this is bad for me? Because I just want to put Fingersmith back on my TBR so I can read it now, so I can say I read one of them. It's just <laughs> well, not there good. was books on there that we have read. I skipped Alias Grace, which you read about and Beloved by Toni Morrison, because I already knew what those are yeah. about. <laughs> so <laughs> that is our new segment that we may try occasionally. But yeah, I think try that's a really genre. fun. Um, it would be fun to genre. do like horror or something, or fantasy. Yeah, or murder mystery. Ooh, yeah. All, apparently, all the genres would be good. We just named off like the main genres. Yeah, you know. Great. Um, so yeah, um, we, we need to draw our next book. This. Oh yeah. Book 46. It's called Black, Black Box. Box.
<laughs> we clearly didn't plan who was going to say it, but I'm going to leave this in. Um, Surround sound. It's called Black Box. I think it's about an airplane crash and the black box God, that's on the not. airplane. I really hope that's not what it's about. <laughs> we, we already had one about fear of flying as a metaphor, and that was rough for you. Nicole's just going to call and be like, don't read this book. I think it's about a coffin. I think it's about Ooh, a death. I don't like that, that like, either. Someone, a key figure in a community dies, and then it's about how it changes everyone in the community. See, I don't like that. Okay, you know that this is a side tangent I'm going to go on. What's the J.K. Rowling book she wrote about the community in the U.K.? Oh, Casual Vacancy. Okay. Horrible book. I couldn't read that book because in the first 10 pages, spoilers, there's a character that dies of an aneurysm, and I'm like, horribly afraid of dying of an aneurysm and i was like i can't read this book and i put it down it was terrible and just spoiler alert in the end um a little boy drowns while his sister supposed to be watching him is having sex in a bush and then he drowns in the river and then she goes back to her house and kills herself and that is how the book ends it is terrible okay well i'm glad i didn't (laughs) read it but also so the idea of reading a whole book about a coffin kind of like no thanks i just think you know they'll be like There'll be like a small rural community and a pivotal member of the community will die suddenly. And it won't be like a mystery. It'll just be, you know, natural causes or whatever. But then it'll profoundly affect everyone. I'd rather be about that than a a plane. True. We'll see. Well, um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, make sure you... Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 1001BooksPod or on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. And until then, don't forget to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. And, and until then, happy reading! reading!